think we just need to go to the Lord. Father, you are here. And even when we don't see your working, even when we don't feel your presence, you are there, you are working, you are speaking, you are ever present and you are ever sure. So God, we thank you that you truly are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You bring healing and you bring life and you bring hope. And we're so grateful, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, I'm so grateful to be with you this morning. I, uh, I'm honored that Pastor Jonathan would ask me to deliver the message for you today. I, uh, I'm just grateful to be back and 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 I'm feeling much better and up to probably about 90% now and I'm feeling really good. I brought with me this morning an, an acorn, <clears throat> a little tiny acorn. These things are fascinating to me because inside every acorn is a little seed and that seed carries all the DNA or chemical makeup required to become a giant oak tree. And oak trees, of course, are these massive, beautiful trees. In fact, some, the, actually the red oaks up in the north, can grow up uh, to a thousand years. And they're massive trees. They, uh, one, one oak tree in Portugal actually measured over 43 meters around its base. So oak trees are just this picture of steadiness and sturdiness. But you know, each acorn that falls to the ground is up a whole, against a whole lot in order to succeed and grow into an oak tree. Of course, there's critters that want to eat the seed for its protein, and there's the issue of weather and rain and flooding and all this stuff. But if somehow, some way, one of these little acorns is able to germinate into the ground, it will become an oak tree, and it's a powerful visual of what it really is to uh, grow spiritually. You see, in order for a an acorn to become an oak tree, the first thing it has to do is grow downward, not upward. You see, a little taproot will form out of the bottom of this seed, and that taproot has to grow deep into the ground. And once that taproot grows deep enough into the ground, then finally it's strong enough to begin growing upward and outward. And a little tiny green shoot will appear out of the soil. And somehow, some way, if that little green shoot is able to survive four or five years, then it becomes what's known as a sapling. And after many more years, that little sapling will turn into what we know as a mature oak tree. In fact, I even, I think I provided a little picture of my favorite oak tree here in Lynchburg. It's a beautiful tree that I drive by all the time. And every time I drive by it, I'm just uh, reminded of the strength and the power of oak trees. But you know, to me, that's a beautiful picture of the process of spiritual growth in us as Christians. You see, because when we become to know Christ and he saves us and we become a Christian, we're given all the power of his grace, just like the DNA or the chemical makeup of this little seed. We're given all the grace and salvation that we need for eternity. And at the very moment of our salvation, we receive all of God. It's kind of like when you call the electric company to turn on your power and they turn it on. Well, you know, when they actually turn on the power in your apartment or your home, that's all the power you need in that building, right? It's all the power you're going to ever receive, but it's all you need. Now your uh, outlets work, and, 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 but here's the thing the electric company won't do. They won't come and turn on your dishwasher for you. They're not going to plug in your lamps for you. Why? Well, because that's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to receive, I mean, is to give you the power. Well, that's exactly what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit into your life. You receive all of the Lord. And so it is with our spiritual growth. We've been given this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, but it's our responsibility to grow. So we all start off as, 
acorns in the faith. But that's not where God intends for us to stay. No, some of us are still in the acorn phase, unfortunately, and we may have said a prayer or surrendered our heart to Jesus at some point, but for some reason, we've never gone any deeper. No taproots have formed. And we're still just an acorn sort of laying about on the ground, useless and exposed and weak and thrown about by the ever-changing winds of culture. But Matthew 16, 24, Jesus reminded his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that's no easy call. And it certainly doesn't sound to me like Jesus expects for us to remain acorns. See, it's a dangerous thing to claim that you're a Christ follower and yet there's no evidence of following him in your life. Christianity is not a a part-time gig. It's an all-the-time thing. So at some point as believers, we must begin to grow. A taproot must begin to form. Now, many churchgoers are still in the acorn phase, or maybe you've grown enough to become a sapling, but my question to you today is, where are all the oak trees? You know, we know several in our churches, and you can probably name them if you've been around your church for long. Many times it's an elderly person who just walks with the Lord and has a great, just a history of faith and, and, and just a, a beautiful relationship with Jesus. But it's not all the time the elderly. Sometimes it can be a younger person. I think of somebody like... Nathan Norman in our church, who's 13 years old, and yet because he's been battling cancer most of his life, he's become a giant of the faith. I think of Benji Nasser, who just passed away a few weeks ago. Man, what a giant of the faith he was. What an oak tree for Jesus he was, a, a strong and steady believer who inspired literally thousands with his genuine love for Christ. But one thing's true of every person you know who's as strong as an oak in their faith. They've all been through the fire. They've all been tested. In fact, you don't have a testimony until you've been tested. They've all been tried, and yet they've used every opportunity to grow closer and stronger in the Lord. Now, as you know, I've just recently come through a major trial in my own life dealing with this COVID-19 virus. And it's interesting, the last time I spoke to you, I encouraged you that when you're facing a trial, to flip that vow in that word, and that trial can become a trail of opportunity to grow in the Lord, Well, little did I know that just a few weeks after I spoke those words to you that I would literally have to learn how to live out those very words just a few weeks later. It it was April 1st that I was diagnosed officially with COVID-19, but that came after several days of a high fever and feeling pretty rotten. April 1st is April Fool's Day. My doctor, he uh, called me that morning and told me I had the COVID virus, and I thought he was kind of playing an April Fool's joke on me, but turns out he wasn't kidding at all. And over the course of the next several days, my fever began to get worse and word began to spread and we had to uh, let out the word that I had this thing. And of course, that terrified all of our neighbors. I I felt kind of like that bad guy in those Western movies that comes into the middle of town and all the moms are grabbing their kids and, and the people are slamming their shutters shut, you know, and all that stuff. I felt bad for these neighbors. And even my dogs didn't want to have anything to do with me. It was pretty bad. But after 12, 13 days of this high fever and severe body aches and horrible headaches, my doctor came over to my house, Craig Petrie, and he checked my lungs and he said, hey, could you do me a favor? Just walk across the room and come back. And when I did, I walked about 20 steps, came back, and my oxygen level was at 84. Well, it's supposed to be around 98, 99. And he listened to my lungs and he said, buddy, I don't know how to tell you this, but I got to put you in the hospital. And I said, when? And he said, right now. 
And so a couple hours later, I found myself all alone in Lynchburg General Hospital. And I was there for two nights and three days, and I had wonderful care. Steve Rideout, one of the members of our church, was, was great, and he took good care of me. And, and all the nurses, and of course, those people are heroes, right on the front line with all they're doing, facing this disease head on. And it's, it's a wonderful thing that they're doing. But I'll tell you, man, I was pretty lonely, and I was pretty isolated in that hospital. And I got out the day before Easter and, and uh, pretty much begged my way out of there. They didn't want me to leave, but I just begged my way out of there. But I was still at really high risk. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a pretty rough go for about another eight or nine days. High fevers again, uh, severe aches. And then when I left the hospital, I had severe leg pain for some reason. We later discovered that was probably a lug cl- cl- I mean, uh, blood clots in my legs, both legs, and I was having a hard time walking, and my lungs were still full of all this double pneumonia, and it was a horrible, horrible uh, process. But over the course of many more days, slowly but surely, my fever began to dissipate. And uh, on April 20th, my wife's birthday, I was officially declared COVID-free to which I'm very thankful. And over the course of the last eight or nine days now, I've just gotten stronger and stronger, and I'm so grateful to be on the other side of this. But in the midst of dealing with all that stuff, I have to tell you, I had the sweetest moments of worship I think I've ever had in my life. Songs like Waymaker that we just sang, and other ones like this one we're about to give you, a song called Goodness of God. I mean, I listened to this song probably three dozen times. And so I just wanted to, before I come back and give you some real practical lessons that I've learned through all this, I just asked the men if they would to just come and give us that song, Goodness of God. And then when they're done, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you some lessons that I've learned through all of this COVID-19 mess.
eyes. That little line, with every breath that I am able, when you're going through double pneumonia and you're not sure what tomorrow holds and you're reminded of the goodness of God. That song spoke to me many, many times. Uh, The first thing I want to give you today is just a short little lesson. I want to give you four things. First of all, life is fragile. Now, I don't need to spend much time on that. I think we've all realized that over the course of the last several weeks, haven't we? I mean, eight weeks ago, our nation was riding high. I mean, jobless rates way down. The stock market soaring. All kinds of great things happening. And then it's just in a period of eight weeks, this pandemic takes over the world. And suddenly, 30 million plus people out of work. Stock market's heading down. All these issues going on. And suddenly, we look up. And man reminded of just how fragile life is. I'll never forget when my doctor told me, Craig Petrie, he said, you know, if you weren't in decent shape, according to this blood work, and after seeing those chest x-rays, he said, you really should be dead right now. And that was a serious wake-up call for me and a reminder to me of just how fragile life truly is. James chapter 4, verses 14 James reminds us of these words. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You see, we don't know what holds tomorrow, but thankfully, we know who holds our tomorrow. (laughs) That's what's so comforting about being a believer in Christ. Which brings me to my second lesson. Number one, our life is fragile, but number two, faith is essential. I asked this question in an earlier message a couple years back here, and I want to ask you again. When fear comes knocking at your door, will faith answer? It kind of begs the question, well, what is faith? Well, let me answer that for you real quick. Faith is, the definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And we're reminded there that faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, but it's also the evidence of things unseen. You see, when I got this virus, I began to pray that Jesus would just miraculously heal me. And when I went into the hospital on April 9th, I thought, you know, how cool would it be if Jesus would just heal me in a dramatic way, like the blind man in John chapter 9 or the the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 or all through the New Testament. I thought, man, this would be awesome. He could just heal me right here in the hospital room. I could call in the nurses and the doctors and say, hey, I'm good to go. Let's check me out. Man, I am completely healed. And I just knew he was going to heal me right then and there. I began to look at all the scriptures and pray in just the right way and believe in my heart. And I really did believe. In fact, at one point, I literally reached out from my hospital bed like I was touching the hem of his garment like the lady with the issue of blood. And then I even got on my knees and I, I got out of my hospital bed and I just, I just knelt there and prayed for like a half hour just waiting for him to heal me. And he didn't. And in my weakened state, I... I got disappointed. I got disillusioned. And I, and I hate to admit to you today, but I got angry with God. I was disappointed in him. And that was Thursday night, April 9th. It just so happens that suddenly I was realizing that that was the same night 2,000 years ago that Jesus spent the night in the house of Caiaphas where he was beaten within an inch of his life, where his beard was pulled out, where he was spat upon, and where he was treated so horribly. And then the next day, of course, he suffered and bled and died on the cross. And suddenly I felt so small and so insignificant and so horrible and under such conviction for being angry with the Lord. 
And he reminded me quite vividly that what he went through for me was a little more significant and painful than me spending a few uncomfortable nights in the hospital. But besides all that, what I'd really shown was a lack of faith. I wanted to see God heal me so that when, I, when he did, I would believe even stronger in his healing power. I wanted evidence that I could see, but that's not faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. You see, I had it backwards. I wanted him to heal me so that I could deepen my belief. But what God wanted from me was to believe in him more deeply, and then I would see his work in me. See, that's how faith works. I had to believe, and then I would see. And surely enough, several days later, God did begin to heal me in his timing and on his own, but he had several lessons left to teach me. See, God reminded me about how faith works in all this, and he showed me once again that my faith has a long ways to go. And just like an oak tree, faith takes time to grow. So life is fragile, and faith is essential. But can I give you another one? Fear is not an option. You know, 365 times in Scripture, we are told, do not fear. Now, we all have fears, right? I mean, there's over 600 different phobias listed on the official phobia list. I looked them up. Things like arachnophobia, fear of spiders. And then, of course, my personal favorite. Let me see if I can say this word. Hippopotamonstrosis quedipelidaliophobia. That's the official phobia word for the fear of long words. <laughs> It's just a personal favorite of mine. You see, we all have fears. And, and this virus has caused a great deal of fear to spread across the world. Now, interestingly enough, I never really felt afraid while I had this virus. I wasn't afraid to die. I've grown enough out of the acorn stage to, uh, to know without a doubt that I have a home in eternity with Jesus. But I discovered that even though I wasn't afraid, I was anxious and impatient and worried and frustrated and angry at times and exasperated and discouraged. And you're not going to find any of those words in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> See, I was realizing how weak I truly am as a believer. And the longer I had this virus, the more I realized how far I have to grow in order to grow into an oak tree that God wants me to be. And even though I didn't have a fear, I did have much anxiety and I had a lot of worry, which is closely related to fear. Those are cousins of fear. I love the definition that Tony Evans gives of the word worry. He says, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. And Tony also gives this illustration and I love it. He said, worry is like fog. Did you know that seven blocks of fog only carries the actual water content of one glass of water? I mean, it's not nearly as much substance to it as it appears. And yet fog causes so much damage, doesn't it? Car wrecks, plane wrecks, delays. And yet in the same way, worry is like fog. Worry causes a ton of damage in our lives, even though there's often not a lot of substance to it. Did you know that 80% of the things that we worry about actually never happen? Anxiety and worry keep us from hearing God. So why do we worry? Well, quite simply because we're focused on the wrong authority. We are in effect saying, God, I'm not sure that you're capable of handling this. So 
One thing I began to do was I began to read Philippians 6 and 7 over and over again, where the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, what began to ease my anxiety was that little phrase, with thanksgiving. I started thanking Jesus for healing me before he had healed me. And I started believing it and claiming it and thanking him in advance for it. And this totally eased any anxiety I had. You see, one of the cures for worry and anxiety is thankfulness. And it's amazing when we begin to truly live a life of thanksgiving, how it will take your mind off the negative situation that you are in and place you in a positive mindset so that you can overcome. And this leads to the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You see, one of the things that's so difficult about this coronavirus is the isolation factor. You're all alone, and it messes not just with your body, but with your emotions and with your mind as well. Oh, but friends, can I just remind you, it's in his perfect presence that we find perfect peace, which allows us to rest in his perfect plan. And when you are at rest, you are not in fear. Did you hear that? When you are at rest, you're not in fear. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So life is fragile. Faith is essential. Fear is not an option. And can I give you one more? No matter what, keep your eyes on Jesus. We are in unprecedented times in our nation's history where we are all at home, some of us are alone, and the busyness of life has slowed drastically. Could it be that God has forced a Sabbath upon us? Could it be that this is the best opportunity we will ever have in our entire lives to simply be still and know that he is God? I mean, what better time in your life than right now when nothing is happening to spend time with Jesus? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, reminds us of these words. It says this, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. No, it's not. And rather, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Would I want to go through this thing again? <laughs> Absolutely not. But already I'm grateful that I did because it has grown me. And it's stretched me and it's deepened my faith and it's enriched my worship. And, and that's what trials do. They mature us. They develop us. They grow us up from being acorns in the faith to oak trees that can withstand the fiery darts of the evil one, the ever-changing winds of culture and all the setbacks that life has to bring. Can I close with this little story? In 1996, it was the Summer Olympic Games. It was in Atlanta. And one of the greatest moments in Olympic history happened in those games. We were uh, in the gymnastics competition. Our women's team was the best we'd ever put on the floor, the best ever. And for years, we'd been losing to the Russians and the Romanians. In fact, the women's gymnastic team in the history of gymnastics had never won a gold medal. And here we are in the 1996 Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta. We've put our best team on the floor. They were called the Magnificent Seven. And we get to the very last event, and we have a 10-point lead over the Russians. And we're thinking, boy, we got a chance here. And it comes down to the last event, which is the vault. 
And it comes down to our last two competitors, Dominique Marciano and a girl named Carrie Strug. Dominique went first. Dominique went and she does her vault and she fell. Her feet slipped on the mat. And we were all in shock because Dominique was one of our best gymnasts. And so she goes back and she tries again. Same thing again. She slipped on the mat and fell. So now we have no points and it's down to our last competitor, Carrie Strug. Four feet, seven inches tall, 87 pounds. Many of you remember this moment. Carrie Strug runs down that runway. She hits that vault, does a perfect vault through the air, lands, but when she lands, she snapped two ligaments in her left ankle and she fell to the ground. Well, not only did we not receive any points for the vault, now we're all terrified that she's not gonna be able to finish. We could lose to the Russians. Our one chance to win the gold is now just, just hanging literally on two tendons in a left ankle. And she got up and she begins to hobble her way back down the runway. And she said, all I could think was, you can't think about the pain. This is the Olympics, you gotta do this. And as she's walking back to the beginning of the runway to attempt her second run, her last chance, she hears out of her left side, her coach yelling, the famous Bella Kurogi. And this is what he was yelling. Look at me, Carrie, look only at me. Listen to me, you can do this, you can do this. You can do this and you can watch YouTube videos of this moment and it's powerful. So she gets back to the back end of that runway and she's got two torn ligaments in her left ankle, but somehow, some way she sprints down that runway. She takes off from that vault. She does a perfect vault and miraculously lands perfectly on two feet with all of her weight on one foot. And she hops on her right foot, takes a bow to the judges, and then collapsed in pain. But that perfect landing and that perfect vault gave us the score that we needed to defeat the Russians and the Romanians and receive the gold medal for the first time in Olympic history. Little Carrie Strug became an Olympic hero that day. Oh, but listen to me, folks. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Folks, you gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author. He is the writer of your story. Do you realize that? And you may have some rough chapters. I just came through one. And yes, there will be some challenges and some may seem insurmountable, but there's gonna be difficult and dark days that you gotta go through. But listen, through it all, keep your eyes on Jesus. And he may be chastening you, but he's molding you to turn you from an acorn into an oak tree. Do you see? He's pushing you to grow up and become the man or the woman of God that he wants you to be. But he's not just the author of your story. He's the finisher of your faith. And he's with you to the end. So do you see? The one great thing I've been reminded in all of this is that Jesus truly is enough. We sang the words, Christ is enough. He's in my corner. And he's never going to leave me. And he's never going to forsake me. And you know what? He's in your corner too. You see, Jesus sees in every acorn a potential oak tree, and he sees you the same way. So as the author of your story, and as the finisher of your faith, he's standing in your corner, and he's exhorting you. Look at me, listen to me, follow me, trust me. 
You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You bow your heads with me wherever you are. You may be on your couch. You may be driving down the road. If you are, don't bow your heads, but please listen to me. (laughs) Wherever you're sitting, whatever you're doing, would you just pause for just a moment? And I want to ask you, where are you in your spiritual growth? I mean, you may have said a prayer years ago, but have you ever grown out of the acorn stage and deepened your walk with the Lord? Oh, folks, what better time to start than in, this, than in this time of isolation and quarantine and all the stuff we're going through. You have time to do this. Man, dive into his word. Study his word. Maybe the Lord's convicting you today about that very thing. But maybe you're watching here today and you've, you've never begun a relationship with the Lord. You don't even know what it means to really be a follower of his, to be a, to be a Christian. Well, I have to tell you, if you're struggling in your hope, and you're looking for life, don't look any further. Jesus is the only hope you've got. So why don't you just ask the Lord into your life by simply saying a prayer. Ask him into your life to save you. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads where you are and just say a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.